This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Great day for talk radio. I'm sure Donald Trump feels the same way. Uh, not the radio part. He's just happy that uh, he was acquitted by the Senate in a not a narrow vote, 52-48. But interesting that Mitt Romney decided he would turn coat and uh, file the option to convict uh, on one of the two articles of impeachment. Won't bore you with the whole rigmarole, but let's just say that'll be one of the things I'd like to bring up right now with Dave Sparrow, the president of Actra National, who has joined us for the midweek roundtable, and Catherine Swift, former head of the C and CEO of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Swifty, I understand your back's flared up. You're on the phone oh. today. I appreciate you joining us nonetheless. Good afternoon. Okay. Thank you. Good afternoon. Yes, I'm annoyed big time. Uh, all right. And a good afternoon to Mr. Sparrow. It's good to be here, John. And uh, we're sending Swifty, uh, you know, healing vibrations. I hope you can hear them. I hope they work soon because I'm about to tear my hair out. <laughs> well, geez, uh, this sounds ominous. And yet I was just mentioning Donald Trump. Uh, he's got to be breathing a sigh of relief. Is this all past him now? Let me ask you, first of all, Dave, because I, I saw where one of the people uh, that was pushing for impeachment, uh, with the Dems, Jerry Nadler says, you know, this ain't over yet. Uh, we may still go back up that hill again, depending on and so on. Would you continue to pursue this? I, I think that it would be a mistake to try to pursue it unless you came up with fabulous new evidence that suddenly had Republicans falling over themselves to join in. But I will say, though, the most wonderful thing is that at least a Republican, in terms of Mitt Romney, stood up and and took the bullet because his career is virtually over in terms of the Republican Party and said, no, the, these are impeachable offenses, and of course I'm going to do that. It's nice to know that there's at least one person on that side of the spectrum who has some kind of ethics and, and morality, because even if the <clears throat> actual things he was being accused of are gray areas— this this person has proven time and again that he should not be in the highest office in the land for so many, many reasons. Did you see the State of the Union address last night? I, I, I did, and uh, I was about as nauseous as, uh, as uh, the uh, woman sitting behind him. <laughs> Well, okay, I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. But, I mean, he was rhyming off a list of accomplishments that, if credible, uh, seem to speak to the idea that, yeah, he's having a successful presidency to this point. Swifty, how do you see it? Oh, boy. Well, this whole thing is, frankly, this outcome was totally predicted. The, the, the impeachment was never going to go through. Uh, and the problem is, I guess, for Trump opponents, and I'm, I'm no Trump fan, don't get me wrong. I think some of his policies, though, have been effective in terms of boosting the economy, and the economy matters. Let's face it. People vote, you know, not exclusively, but in large part on how they're doing in their day-to-day -day lives, and, and he is winning on that front, I guess you could say. So I think, uh, I, I'm sure the Democrats, I don't think they're going to go at it again. I, I think Dave's right, unless something really, you know, out of the blue comes to light. Uh, because they know exactly the same thing will happen. And I think this has emboldened a lot of his base to be even more militant in that fiasco in Iowa, the Iowa pro, uh, primary, which was just a dog's breakfast, um, it certainly didn't do the Democrats any, any favors either. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's a big, complicated mess, as U.S. politics always is, and getting worse, it seems. By the way, uh, you know, the stock market has taken a huge bounce during his tenure. Uh, it's up just south of 30,000 when he started. I think it was just over 20. Uh, but that's not really synonymous with the economy, Swifty, or is it? How does that factor in? Some people are saying, well, you know, it isn't. It, it, it isn't synonymous. 
but um, it it is a it is a factor and not an unimportant factor. It's one of one of a number of factors. Things that matter more to your average. Joe, uh, our employment numbers and so on, they've been very robust in the U.S. Some recent data came out that was very, very strong. Um, now, but stock markets, everybody's got some kind of investments uh, or pensions or relying on uh, such things, and naturally stock markets boost that part of people's prosperity. Well, there you go. Sparrow. I mean, you might say... Uh this is all sweetness and light going forward. Then you might understand also why there's still a lot of support for Donald Trump. I, I recognize that many people believe the positive side of the ledger. I, I would say this is that if Donald Trump was doing all the things that he's currently doing and at the same time was being sober and diplomatic and, and international in his communications and was not attacking his own citizens and locking people up and doing all the other things that we might look at saying are, are just completely outrageous for a uh, democratic leader to be doing, then I might well be saying, wow, I really misjudged that guy. The, the problem is, is that it's really not Donald Trump that's doing all these things. He just happens to be sitting in the seat of the president with his hands on the Twitter. It is all the people behind him. It's all the people who have been working on uh, job creation, et cetera. Even when any politician stands up and says, my government created you know, a million jobs last year, it wasn't their government. It was the people who run businesses and had confidence to go out and take on risk and loans and, and the uh, unions that worked with them in order to have great product develop, develop etc. So the whole thing is a little iffy in my book. But you've got to admit, though, some of the policies and some of it, he's building up debt to beat the band as well, by the way. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we look at what's happening in Canada. It's bad. They're doing it as well south of the border. But one of the things he's done, which is actually an unsung or less sung than it should be, in my view anyway, is he's really done some serious work to streamline red tape. And red tape is the overburden, and it really grew during Obama's day. And from the small, medium-sized business standpoint, and it's, it's, that sector is half the economy in the U.S., just like it is in Canada. That is huge. So we hear about tax cuts and all that kind of jazz, but don't underestimate what he's done in streamlining that regulatory burden, which really is a horrible load on businesses, especially small business. However, some of that regulatory load is things like uh, protecting the environment and waterways and fisheries and all these things, which apparently he's rolling back those protections well, and, and making it, it tougher. Well, also unnecessary, though, David. I mean, I agree. Like, obviously, if there's safety con- you know, or health-related concerns, that, that's not what I consider red tape. I consider that sensible regulation. But an awful lot of what's there doesn't do that kind of stuff, and it just grows government and impedes business growth. Let me ask you about regulation, uh, because this surfaced in a report that came out. It was commissioned by the Liberals 18 months in the offing, and uh, last week, 97 recommendations by this group looking into the uh, telecommunications industry in Canada. And I guess, David Sparrow, this is right in your wheelhouse. I mean, with your members in ACTRA looking for gainful employment and being stakeholders in all of this and content creation. You know, we've talked about it in the past, the streaming services that... uh, are on offer in this country, and there are many now. It's kind of Netflix and Disney, Amazon Prime, and so on and so forth, Apple. Uh, this committee uh, wants to see some kind of tax or uh, take your pound of flesh from these streaming services. They want to insert themselves into uh, the Internet, what Internet, mm-hmm. what the Internet is providing. I mean, is that even doable, let alone advisable? 
Well, it's doable. It's being talked about throughout Europe. It's already in place in some countries like France and Italy and other places. But more than that, what this committee is is doing is saying we are recognizing the technological changes that are allowing Internet giants and over-the-top services like Netflix, Disney+, Plus, Hulu, Amazon Prime, all of these companies that are pulling billions of dollars out of Canada in subscription fees, etc. We are recognizing that they have the potential of subsuming all that is Canadian media and the ability of Canadian uh, voices to tell Canadian stories. And so, by example, last year there were was probably a couple of billion dollars worth of Netflix production done in Canada. It was all U.S. production. It means some people, some actors got work. We we welcome that work. Some crews got work. We welcome. Not a single Canadian writer was on those shows. And the reason is those shows are written in the United States. They're brought up here and they're shot. So those are not Canadian stories being told. All we're talking about is that if you have access to the Canadian marketplace, then when you come in, you need to play pay the same fare, if you will, as our Canadian broadcasters. So you pay into the Canadian Media Fund, and that money gets used to help create Canadian content, and then put that content, make it available on your streaming service. Now, just to put a fine point on this, we're talking maybe 5% of the money that they spend here. We're not talking that Netflix is suddenly going to become Canadian. That can't be done. But having them actually support our own culture and not allowing it simply to be overtaken in totality by outside voices, that's an important thing. And just a final button. Last year, Netflix alone, by their own numbers, took $1.1 billion in fees out of Canada, and they paid nothing um, for well, that uh, yeah, access. But see, I don't know how you're going to erect this cultural firewall. In other words, to say uh, you guys got to commit to X amount or 5% or whatever, they might just say, screw you, like Apple. We're in Cupertino, they, California. Try to get your money. They might, but they want to be there. So in Italy, Netflix has already agreed to, to say, whatever our subscription fees are in Italy, we're going to put 3% of that into creating Italian production in Italian and then making that content available on our site. So it was easy for them to do. And uh, and they're doing it in other places, and they're going to be talking about doing it in Australia, et cetera. All Canada has to do is come to the table and have a conversation with them. All right. I, I won't even broach the whole news aspect and how they want to decide this uh, recommendation made uh, that credible news ought to be supported as opposed to whatever who makes that determination. But Swifty, on this point very quickly that Sparrow raised, uh, having... Taking a a percentage out of Netflix profits to support Canadian content, that doable and advisable? I don't. I frankly don't think that's a huge big deal in terms of this report. I think the things you just alluded to there are a way bigger deal in terms of it being a. It wouldn't. Would it would be fairly comfortable some of these recommendations in North Korea or you know China or someplace like that. They're so uh, restrictive and anti-freedom um, and and just punitive to consumers of content in Canada. I don't. I don't have much of a problem with with what Dave's talking about. But let's not fool ourselves. You know. They're talking about applying HST to Netflix and stuff. Who's going to be paying that? We all are. And every single recommendation in this report uh, leads to less choice for Canadian consumers and more cost. And those, and also less, less freedom of choice. And like you say, John, who's going to determine? They keep talking about harmful content. Who determines what's harmful? We're big boys and girls in Canada. We can figure that out for ourselves. You know, it doesn't actually lead to less choices for Canadians. It leads to having at least a Canadian choice. 
And that's we already have a different Netflix in Canada than the U.S. has. Yes, see? and that one is paying in, is paying into the system, and so uh, we're in an unfair position where our Canadian producers, independent producers, independent business people are facing steeper hills to climb because they're Canadian working in Canada than the over-the-top service, which is just coming through through the through the internet. So all we're talking about is leveling the playing field and ensuring that everyone's who has access to our market is helping to support our Canadian stories. Without well, I just t- like to see consumers f- figure into the mix. And in this report, it just doesn't seem to very much. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio. 